beautiful, beautiful, my favorite hymn, my favorite hymn. Tanner Fox, if you're getting old, there is a God. My son had me out on Lake Ivanhoe on a jet ski yesterday. Wow. (laughs) Talk about sore. Friends, let us turn now to the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what we know not, come now and teach as only you can. What we have not, give us. What we are not, Lord, transform us by your glory. And what we do not, invite us. May this word be yours and yours alone. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Out of respect for the Lord's word, if you are able, please stand now for its reading. This passage from the Apostle Paul in his second book, the Corinthians chapter 3. Hear the word of the Lord. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. And in chapter 4, verse 6, For God, who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Please be seated. I have shared before, and I'll share again, my call to ministry experience It was a hot and humid summer evening in 1994. I was just about to return to college and I felt an unbelievable amount of pressure to pick a major. And how was I supposed to pick a major if I didn't even know what career was ahead of me? I had seen gifts for ministry and I really had a passion and an interest in such, but as a kid, I I had known four pastors in a row at our home church that were men that probably should have had a different career. So I was very hesitant and, re- and said, Lord, I need to know <laughs> you want me to do this. Well, it was the last night of camp meeting. I often share with you about this wonderful old Southern tradition that we go back every year to enjoy. It's a week of worship in the Georgia heat outdoor tabernacle, sawdust floors, family-owned cabins all the way around. It was the last night of camp meeting, and the preacher of the week had done something a little different and a little crazy for us Presbyterians in that during the last hymn, he invited folks to come down if they wanted to confess faith in Christ. Well, this last night of camp meeting, I'm standing there in the pew, and next to me is Mary Grayson, my spiritual mentor, my director of youth ministry, And the pastor, before the last song, says, come down if you want to confess faith in Christ or if you're being called into full-time Christian ministry. He wasn't supposed to ask that. 
So we stand for the last hymn, and I'm standing there, and I'm wondering, do, do I go? Do I not? Mm. Well, I didn't go. Because I didn't want to go down in front of my entire home congregation and make such a commitment that, eh, I changed my mind on a week later. But in standing there next to Mary before God, I felt his glory come down upon me in a way that I will never forget. A warmth began in the top of my head and moved all the way down my spine. I literally felt hands on my shoulders such that I turned around to look and nobody was there. And as we sang that last song, I heard him say to me, Case, it's okay. It's okay. I want you to go in to this calling. I left there, changed my major to religion, and have never looked back. Friends, I have tasted and I have seen the Lord is good. And he restored in me a hope that day that continually fuels my work. This series, this sermon series we're experiencing now for the next many weeks is on just that, hope. And particularly hope in times of fear, in times of struggle. Dr. Swanson has asked us to consider the hope of the gospel, the hope that we have because of the empty tomb after Easter. And does the hope of the gospel show up in our everyday, provide us comfort and solace in the midst of this crazy world in which we live? Because frankly, there is a lot of reason to lose hope. A lot of reason to lose hope. These shootings in Texas, in Buffalo, the, the 911 calls from the room, it, it just got to me yesterday. Reason to lose hope in fellow humanity. Are we losing hope in our political process? Every time we have an election, losing hope in our judges and justices, losing hope in being able to care for Florida's natural beauty with the manatee crisis. The Southern Baptist report this past week I, I, I get so frustrated to think how many will lose hope in the church because of such reports. If you have a friend in the Southern Baptist Church, in a Southern Baptist Church, reach out to them this week and let them know you're praying and you love them. Well, if any church had a reason to lose hope, it would be the Corinthian church. The Corinthian church was a really tough place and they were losing hope in themselves as well as in their fellowship. Scholars think, and I concur, this isn't just two letters, first and second Corinthians. Rather, it's about five letters of Paul writing to the leaders in Corinth and maybe a few more of his that we don't have. We don't have the letters they were writing back to him, but all these letters back and forth were because that place was a mess. The Corinthian church was struggling with sexual immorality with pagan beliefs that were seeping into the church, leading to heresy, an incredible disunity there in that church. And so what Paul is trying to do here in chapter three is to tell the Corinthians, to guide them towards hope, 
to help renew the hope that they once had, Paul calls them to embrace God's glory. He says, to renew your hope, to reclaim it, push towards the glory of God, and that is enough. And that same word comes to us today in the midst of shootings and racial tensions. Push to God's glory, and that is enough. Now, I'm sure some of you are going, all right, Case, (laughs) that's real preacher talk. (laughs) Thanks for the God's glory thing, but I, I, I don't feel that in my everyday life. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, just, just hold with me for a minute. And I imagine the text is going to show us how in times of hopelessness and fear, embrace the glory of God. So open your Bibles and look with me here in chapter 3. Paul's in this argument of sorts where he is trying to contrast the Jewish faith of old with now the new Christian way of being trying to show the difference. Paul's Jewish contemporaries related to God through the law, but now, as Christ followers, believers are to relate to God through the Spirit. Someone writes, unlike the ministry of Moses, which was limited, impermanent, veiled, and lacking transformative power, Paul's new covenant ministry is characterized by an all-surpassing, permanent, unveiled, transformative glory that is mediated by the Spirit of the Lord. And so for them to regain their hope or experience it for the first time, push to taste and see the glory of God. So let's start with that word, glory. What is glory? Verse 18 says that we, as Christ followers, will reflect God's glory. Okay, well, if if I'm reflecting it, what, what exactly am I reflecting? One of the the struggles when it comes to the word glory is that we use it interchangeably as a noun or a verb, and we don't always realize we're using it interchangeably. We read in Scripture about it, and it's happening interchangeably, and it can make it a bit confusing. Well, let's just break it down. There are two nouns for glory, two noun versions, and a verb version, okay? So in the two noun versions, the first is a radiant ambiance that one has, a radiant ambiance. It's the image we get of Moses in Exodus 34 when he comes down off Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the law. He had been unveiled before God and he was radiant and exuding the glory of God so much so that he freaked everybody out and he had to wear a veil so the folks wouldn't get too scared. That's actually why Paul is referencing In verse 16, the unveiling. Earlier in this passage of chapter three, he talks about this unveiling. So that's the first understanding of glory. The second noun version is when laud and honor is given to something. Our laud, our reverence, our honor is given to something. You may know the hymn, all glory, laud, and honor to the Redeemer King. This giving of our best reverence and appreciation. I know that Lynn's excited this week is the Queen's Platinum Jubilee. Mm-hmm. And there's gonna be so much laud and honor given to good old Lisbeth, yeah? 
in her 70 years, is it 70 or 60? 70, Tamis knows. Boy, I mean, I love the royals. And this, you know, we're gonna watch all this glory being given to this human figure. Well, now that pales in comparison to the law and honor we, we are to give our God. Okay, so there's the noun, two nouns, the radiant ambiance, and then the laud and honor we give. The verb version of glory is to rejoice proudly. The act of giving the laud and the honor, the act of glorifying God is glory in and of itself. So if you think about it in a weird way, we glory our glory. We glory and give unto God that which is his the reverence, the honor. If you think about it even further, we are given God's glory to offer our own and his back to him. And oh my goodness, friends, then you're dwelling in the glory of everywhere, where. And it's good. And it's powerful. I'll never forget October of 1997. My father meets me from Atlanta in D.C. I drive down from New Jersey with a million other men for the Promise Keepers Million Man March on DC. It was amazing. And at one point, we're on the mall, and the person up front calls every man to fall on their face in prayer and to put their face to the ground and cry out to God and to pray for our country and her leaders. And during the middle of it, I sat up and I looked and I saw hundreds of thousands of men it's all the way down the mall, face down before God. Talk about glory emanating off of that place. So Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, you hopeless, oh, recognize that which the Holy Spirit puts in you as a follower of Christ and push towards that glory and giving the glory and dwelling in the glory. Look at what else he says in chapter three, verse 18, that this glory is ever increasing and that it transforms us into his likeness. This ever increasing transformative process. It's not a uh, once done event for when you get saved. It's not just that one time when I was 13 at camp singing Kumbaya. We have our spiritual highs that we may refer to or look back on, but friends, God's glory is available to us and it is transformative and it is not a zero-sum game. It's ever-increasing. What comes to mind for me are moments like when the fairy godmother hits Cinderella and that transformation takes place. Or when Tinkerbell touches the kids so they can fly with Peter Pan and Disney does a great job with illustrating glory. But our God's glory is so much greater and it is ever increasing and transformative and available. But there's a problem. There's a problem because you might be saying, well, that's all well and good, but... That's not my daily experience. That, I would love to have those spiritual highs all the time. In fact, I know that some folks live for years going to worship based on that kumbaya moment at 13, hungry for it again. But the world in which we live squashes it out quite often. And we've got to learn 
to be trained up in our spiritual muscles to seek and to engage in God's glory. Just like an athlete has to work on certain skills and muscles, well, for us as Christ followers, we, we have to work on those spiritual muscles to then walk in our faith, to learn how to tune our ears so that when he speaks, we hear him. To learn to put on the, the glasses that enable us to see the kingdom of God and his glory breaking out all around us. So we've, we've gotta be trained up, but we also know that the sin within and the broken world around us can often shut us out of God's presence. Paul writes in his second letter to the Thessalonians, quote, you can be shut out of the Lord's presence and the majesty of his power. This Ukrainian conflict and war is so horrible. And the events of the last few weeks in the Azovstal steel plant in Mariupol have just captured my attention. This steel plant where for weeks and months now, hundreds, over a thousand individuals have gone to hide and to seek protection. The news reports think there are about 600 soldiers and a thousand civilians hiding in this steel plant as the Russians besiege them. Much like the men and women of our own tradition being besieged in the Battle of the Bulge, the Battle of Saigon or Tora Bora, hoping, hoping for relief. April 23rd, airstrikes commence in a grand assault. April 27th and 28th, more than 50 airstrikes occur in 24 hours. The Russians are within 70 feet of the steel plant, but still can't get in. April 30th, the UN and Red Cross achieve a humanitarian evacuation corridor, but only 20 civilians are let out. May 2nd, 100 more civilians are evacuated. May 5th, a Ukrainian electrician shows the Russians the underground tunnels going into the steel plant, and they begin to push in that way. On that same day, Russians start using thermobaric bombs on the factory. 300 civilians are evacuated. May 6th, 500 more civilians are evacuated. May 7th, the Ukrainian government says that all women, children, and elderly are out. And by May 16th, it's understood that 264 soldiers, of whom 53 were seriously injured, are evacuated. Now, I illustrate this steel plant because the hopelessness that comes in our lives, it's like we find ourselves in our own figurative steel plants. Steel plants with no hope and longing for a human evacuation corridor. Steel plants of, of a dysfunctional marriage. Steel plants of overwhelming debt. Steel plants of addiction. Steel plants loneliness and despair. King David put himself in a place of besiegement through his adultery. Naomi's despair and fear for her safety and future. Peter's shame and cowardice. Sapphira's phony righteousness and greed. And we pray and we long for an evacuation corridor in the hopelessness that can come. And we ask for God's presence 
and glory to come. Because when it does, when God's glory comes, we know that he is in charge. When God's glory shows up, we get hope because we know that we are his child. When God's glory shows up, we are reminded, yes, Jesus loves me. This I know. And it overcomes all the brokenness of this world. A pastor writes about a 16-year-old girl who was incredibly discouraged. She came and met with him in his office, and he says, I tried all I could to encourage her, but eventually she looked at him and she said, yes, I know Jesus loves me. He saves me. He's going to take me to heaven. But what good is it when no boy will even look at you at school? He goes on to write, she said she knew all these truths about being a Christian, but they were of no comfort to her. The attention or lack thereof of a cute boy at school was far more consoling, energizing, and foundational for her joy and self-worth than the love of Christ. Of course, this was a perfectly normal response for a teenage girl. Nevertheless, it's revealing how our hearts work She had the opinion that Jesus loved her, but she didn't really know it. Christ's love was an abstract concept, while the love of others was all the more real. Friends, Jesus Christ takes away the option of our faith being an abstract concept. The very incarnation itself, coming into this reality, taking on this materiality, moves him and his work far from being abstract, but real and concrete. The same glory that you and I are invited to taste and see how very good it is. That that veil gets lifted away and we have full exposure to the divine for an encounter. Matthew 27 says that right after Jesus is crucified on the cross, the veil of the temple is ripped from top to bottom. This is the curtain that protected the Holy of Holies from the outer courts. Scholars think it's maybe a a wool curtain about five or six inches thick, and it is ripped from top to bottom, symbolically releasing his glory out to bring you and me hope and encouragement and power, the majesty of his power. Colin Cruz writes, the continuous and progressive transformation by which believers are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory is the moral transformation which is taking place in their lives so that they approximate more and more to the image of God. There is no greater example in the New Testament to this transformative power through God's glory than the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, who writes this letter and so many other letters, who establishes so many churches around the Mediterranean that's a large part of why we're here today. Before his conversion, before encountering the glory of God on the road to Damascus, Paul was a religious terrorist. And I use those words very intentionally. He was an Osama bin Laden of his day. As the Jewish Sanhedrin 
used Paul and others as bounty hunters to go out and find heretics, arrest them, and bring them back for trial. Okay? And y'all get a little upset when we might raise an eyebrow. But he went out and arrested people. Now, they couldn't kill him. The Romans required their permission to kill him, which is what they do with Jesus. But Paul is a religious terrorist until he encounters the risen Christ on the road to Damascus. And it forever changes him. He goes for 14 years in the desert to study and reprocess his Jewish theology in and through the empty cross and then is called upon to come and help in the church planting movement. Powerful encounter with God and an encounter that he and the other New Testament writers continue to urge us to experience this passage in 2 Corinthians 3. With unveiled faces, we are to contemplate the Lord's glory and be then transformed in his image. Galatians 3, 3. Are you so foolish, Paul writes, having begun by the Spirit? Are you now trying to get perfected by the flesh, by the so-called hopeful things of this world and not God's glory? Hebrews 4.16, let us with confidence then draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in our time of need. 1 Timothy 4.7, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourselves for godliness. We've got to train those spiritual muscles just like an athlete does for that godliness. You may say, well, I don't hear him. I don't feel him. Okay, well, what are you doing <laughs> to lean into corporate worship, to lean into a rich prayer life, to serve the least and the lost? You know what? I get it. If you're sick or fearful of COVID and being online for worship is what it needs to be. But I'll admit, I've got too many of my own peers at my stage of life who will say to me a little too often, yeah, well, we're just lazy, we, we don't want to get up. You know, it's just as good. We're fine at home. The three months when we were shut down in 2020 and I did home worship, it was really hard to experience the glory of God and to offer my laud and my honor when the kids are rolling in with bedhead and not wanting to sit up and are bickering and fighting and then the dog needs to go out and then we're getting texts and, oh, I gotta go grab a drink from the kitchen. I mean, come on. Nothing replaces corporate worship to offer ourselves, to lead into a rich and a beautiful prayer life where, yes, friends, you can experience the glory of God and have your hope renewed daily. I want you, when you go home today, to do this homework in your too long forgotten. I went back again this February and God just continued to do a work in me on my own sin and my own place in his kingdom and my own sense of who I am in him. Friends, I can tell you, it has renewed my hope, hope in my marriage, hope for my children, hope in my career, Hope in this church. 17 years, I've never seen the Lord at work in this place like he is right now.
Friends, the Lord's waiting. And his glory is incomparable to resurrect hope in you. Let us pray. Spirit of the living God, fall afresh, Lord. Fall afresh in a way that we can hear, we can feel, we can see, we can taste. Thank you, God, that you are not removed and distant, but you are after us. And as we meet, ah, the hope that is restored and renewed. 